0: Welcome to Cyber and Security, brought to you by INE. I'm Matt Kreischer, Content Specialist at i and as always, I'm joined by Neil Bridges and Jeff Goals. Neil is a cybersecurity veteran, both literally and figuratively, starting with uh, Cyber Command at the U.S. Air Force. Uh, he has since worked with Fortune 100 companies and PricewaterhouseCoopers. He's currently consulting through his company, Root Access Protection. Jeff is a named account manager with VMware Carbon Black. He has more than 30 years experience in the technology and cybersecurity sectors, helping clients around the world achieve first-class security protocols. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Uh, I want to start out with a pair of stories that are kind of tangentially related. We'll start in South Africa with our friends at Equifax South Africa. The credit, credit monitoring company hit was hit with the social engineering attack. But if you ask the CEO, Ferdy uh, Petersee, that's just the price of doing business. Uh, the CEO, whose name I will not butcher again, uh, spun what is on all accounts a cyber attack into some of the strangest language I've seen out of a major corporation forced to reveal a breach. Uh, here's what the executive had to say. Our investigations indicate that an individual in South Africa purporting to represent a legitimate client fraudulently, fraudulently requested services from experience, experience. The services involved the release of information which is provided in the ordinary course of business or which is publicly available. So, Neil, what do you make of that statement?
1: Uh I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. This this is this is one of those super weird, you know, instances where, you know, you you don't know whether he's the the smartest dumb guy on the on the the planet or the dumbest smart guy on the planet. And I, and I say that, you know, with with all due respect to the fact that he is the CEO of a major corporation, but he's either he's the smartest smart guy if he can actually get away with this. Oh <laughs> my this God. is total ridiculous. It is total ridiculousness. I mean, it's like so so. So I had, I've had i been having conversations with folks over the last few days since this came out to really kind of get to see if, like, if we in cybersecurity aren't just we're, – we're so quick to crucify people, um, you know, whenever they come out and say stupid stuff like this that, you know, are we really blind to what's really happening here? And one interesting perspective that somebody did lend themselves to me was, you know, this is all about liability. And so if they're able to hide behind the fact that this wasn't actually a hack and that social engineering – isn't actually a hack then technically they weren't actually hacked and so therefore things like cyber insurance become into play things like the the regulatory bodies that govern them come into play and things like that and so it's it calls into question really back to some of the conversations we've had on previous podcasts about the the teeth that are embodied in some of these regulatory agencies that that are seeking to to try to protect consumer rights and privacy
2: yeah that that famous regulatory body in south africa that's uh you
1: know, has a lot of teeth, like GDPR. Oh, wait. I was gonna say, yeah. I was gonna say, I was like, oh, I don't think. But that's that's <laughs> the point, though, right? Is that they're trying to avoid that level of scrutiny, and and this is just playing word games with with what the definition of a hack is.
2: Well, and you brought up a really interesting point, um, and you know, I got to give you kudos for this. Which I'll never repeat. But, you know, I think this really does boil down to how does cyber insurance see these kinds of attacks? And if you can get away with not calling it a cyber attack, but you're still liable for some other regulatory body, are you absolved from uh, getting help from cyber insurance while at the same time having to pay out? There's like, (laughs) I think the cyber insurance piece of this is awfully interesting.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, You know he he goes on to talk about if 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 I recall correctly right about how you know there 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 was no actual use of malware there was no compromise of any system there was no um, you know this wasn't gross negligence on the on the 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 part of their company but you know I I think that all of that is just more scapegoating uh, if you will to to the fact that you know you allowed an attacker to you know to 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 take data. And, and I'm still not convinced about it being uh, the course of normal business activity, but that basically means that social engineering, like if this were to stick and I think about this, like in the case of like, a, and I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV and I didn't stay at a holiday in last night. Um, if they were able to convince a court that social engineering is not hacking, do you realize the precedence that, that would set? Oh, huge, huge. Well, I mean, you look at the scale of this thing too. I
2: mean, 24 million South Africans. Yeah, their data twenty four million. Like, what what is the population of South Africa? I don't even know.
0: Twenty three million. I I, I,
2: actually know. <laughs> I I almost would have believed you if, you, if that was. The, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean, in addition to that, you've got all, almost a million businesses, three quarters of a million businesses too. On top of that.
0: But doesn't this kind of fly, not kind of, to me, this flies in the face of logic that's been set up on precedent that we've had for decades now that social engineering is part of cyber criminal activity, whether he wants to call it a hack or not, this is a a cyber criminal activity. And also just because he's not saying that there's gross negligence, Neil, doesn't mean that there wasn't gross negligence.
1: Well, and any investigation is going to determine, truthfully, whether there was gross negligence or not. And, and to answer your question, Jeff, because I did Google it. While I know, we I just out. did, too. <laughs> <laughs> 50, for, the, for the people who are listening, there's 58.56 5, million people in South Africa. 42%. So, yeah, so 42 million. <laughs> I, got the, I got the number, and Jeff got the percentage. <laughs> so that's 42% of the population of South Africa that, that just got owned by this. But but I, I I think that's that's what we're what we're really saying there, Matt, is that everywhere else – if I were to call up a bank and purported to be some individual inside the bank to gain access to account numbers or personal information of somebody that was at the bank, you know, in the U.S., I think you'd have a hard time convincing a judge that that wasn't, you know, malicious activity or or some type of computer fraud and abuse act, uh, you know, you know, type violation.
0: Yeah. To me, that's the big thing is, is that it it seems like, I don't think that the CEO is being as radical as we may be giving him credit for. I, I think that he is covering himself. And I, I think it, was, it's a, it looks to me like a short-sighted way of covering yourself, but in a way that can be read like he's playing you know, 3D chess when it's really just, hey, what if we try this thing?
2: Yeah, well, what's the difference between this and an insider threat? I mean, an insider threat doesn't necessarily fall into the category of hacked or cyber, no. uh, you know, because they're doing things that they're normally supposed to do. But it doesn't mean it wasn't really, really bad. Like, so uh, certainly breached, not hacked. Uh, who cares what the difference is? Uh, yes. You know, th- This is semantics here.
1: It, it's data it's- protection. It's, it's yeah. a lack of data protection is all it is. And that's why that's why I think I think that's why most. I of think, us-
2: so you're saying it, defi- it depends on the definition of breached and uh, data protection. And, you yeah. know, is a breach loss of data or is it some mechanism either personal or technically that is uh, uh, allowing for data to leave your organization?
1: Well, and I think Matt hit it best, right? I think it's it's saving face, right? You've got a guy who's who's being interviewed on TV. He's saving face by saying they weren't hacked. Now, come on, you know, was there a no of, way, shape, or form? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, was, I mean, there a, police, was there a police? a piece of malicious software that was deployed to the system whereby an an adversary had remote access to another terminal? No. Did somebody con socially engineer your folks to give up personal data? Yes. I think the courts will decide whether it's a breach. I think he's arguing semantics for the public opinion side of things. But I think the regulatory body that doesn't exist in South Africa will ultimately have to determine whether he's liable from a a data breach perspective.
2: Well, I, I think what's interesting, this is obviously a pretty smart, savvy attacker, which we've talked about before, by the way. And I believe... Um, I I believe I won that argument and you're still (laughs) shaking your head no, but I think I did. But you take take a look at what this hacker... Oh, I'm going to just talk over you because then I win. (laughs) (laughs) But if you take a look at what this attacker did, he didn't go to Experian to get all of the data. He went to them with some data and said, oh, no, no, no. All I need is the contact information. I already have the ID and uh, the name. And so he's using this as... You know, one more step in building out the profile of 24 million
1: people. That's a, that's a pretty impressive scale. It, 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 you know what, you know what, a shark is impressive to a to a you know a, a clownfish. You know, just saying.
2: Unless <laughs> yeah. sure, you know Nemo's friends. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and we're still friends too, Jeff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Before this recording turns into Shark Week, I I would like to Yeah, exactly.
1: Neil's the shark
2: in this
0: this analogy, by the (laughs) way. I want to move on to the next subject, but it is, like I said earlier, tangentially related, and and it has to do with Uber. The Justice Department recently indicted the former head of security uh, at Uber for allegedly concealing a cyber attack. Uh, Joe Sullivan, who was then working for Uber.
2: But wait. um, in no way, shape, or form was that a cyber attack.
1: <laughs> like, he I, said it, you know, he, should be, he like, should be absolved. He like, should be free. Let, let, let Matt read the article for the listeners. Okay. I'm, I'm dying at the bit to disco. Is this an oops moment?
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm actually going to take it a little bit of a different place. But but to finish, Joe Sullivan was uh, went against federal like regulations allegedly uh, and hit a breach that affected 50 million Uber customers. Obviously, if this is true, Sullivan should certainly be found guilty. What I'm wondering is if he's the fall guy essentially, and it's it's much easier to make the case against an individual than it is against a corporation. Jeff, what do you think?
2: Well, first of all, he he's attacked uh, or uh, accused of this uh, this breach of what it turns out to be is exactly the same population of South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I love the juxtaposition of these two stories. So. <laughs> No, I mean, the bottom line is he had to have known he was breaking the law. Absolutely had to have. I mean, in the security industry in the last 10 years, there is no one who has been under a rock enough to believe that doing what he did would be fine.
1: Well, I... So slightly disagree with that, just not that I think that nobody in security thinks that, um, uh, you know, th- that it's okay to do that, but more in the sense that I, I it would not surprise me if, if, and, and I don't want to isolate CISOs on this, I don't want to isolate security people, it would not surprise me if any corporate executive is constantly evaluating a situation to see which part of that gray area, just like this CEO in South Africa can, can navigate under. And, you know, he, it would not, it, it, it isn't unreasonable to think that this guy legitimately had a thought that said, Oh, I could totally pass this off as a bug bounty because the public opinion doesn't know any better. The courts don't know any better. The lawyers don't know any better. I'm smarter than everybody else. And so I can ride this gray line and be successful at it more than anybody else. To me, this speaks of, of you know just somebody who stepped over the gray line a little too far.
0: Well, I, I do want to go back to I don't think it's chart-
2: that gray of a line, and it's pretty sharp <laughs> and it's pretty clear, and he n- had to knowingly step over it.
0: <laughs> so let's just say that, that, that gray line is a little less gray and, and and he clearly did something wrong. What I find interesting is something that a, a, a hack that affects 50 million customers, it's it's very unlikely that all of the communication at the executive level was siloed to the head of security. So I I do want to kind of go back to my original question, which is, is this guy taking the fall for something that was a structural issue within Uber at the time? Or do you really think that this executive at this public huge company is the only person that was hiding what was going on?
2: I have an opinion, but go ahead, Neil. It well, sounds like you, you want to talk.
1: Well, it's, <laughs> we can both speak to conversations that we've been party to at some of the highest level of some of the, some companies that are much, much bigger than Uber, where do I think that, that that a CISO or a head of security could have hidden information from even the, the top executives of a publicly traded company? 100%. One hundred percent. I I I don't think for a minute that 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 you know he was incapable of hiding that. Um, you can see because when there was a new um, I forget who came in after him. I don't know if it was a CFO or a CIO, um, or, or somebody from internal audit. That maybe was some somebody from internal audit that came in after um, you know, his predecessor had left. That they did a review of the breach and found some gross negligence on his part and ultimately ended up firing him so i mean i I definitely don't think that that it was something that was you know nefarious at the upper echelons of all of uber um you know i I think to jeff's point this was somebody who who made a conscious decision to execute under this strategy thinking that he knew more than you know the, the people around him or the people that he would be you know representing and and got caught doing so yeah this was all about a review
2: Hmm, if my review is good enough, I'll get my bonus. This would have made a bad review. Uh, I I understand that Uber is a technology company, but I think a lot of the same rules apply to a technology company as they do for maybe uh, a behemoth oil and natural gas uh, pipeline company that isn't built at the executive CEO, COO level out of people who coded for a living, right? Um, I think that uh, this guy probably uh, said, ooh, if this information gets out, um, my job is on the line and I won't get my bonus. And uh, I'm speculating here, but man, this uh, this absolutely uh, looks like this is something that he siloed off intentionally and not only hit it from regulators, but also hit it from his executives.
1: Let me ask you something, Jeff. and and I asked my my special guest this on on my stream on Monday, and I want to get your opinion on this. You know, do you think that us catching visibility into this um, is is one of those moments we have in our industry where we're starting to see potentially a level of corruption that exists at the CISO level?
2: I don't think it's necessarily like programmatic. I think it's definitely here and there that there's some, hey, uh, I can kind of, you know, empire build and do my own thing because no one understands what the heck I do anyway. Um, I think there's some freedom to that. And so security has always kind of lived in this uh, own little uh, uh, dark closeted world. Um where I don't really understand what you do, but I hear that you're really important to the
1: business. So the board, they, the board tells you that that you have to be here,
2: right? Exactly. And so I'm going to let you kind of do your own thing because I don't know. And I, quite frankly, every time you talk, you bore me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so I don't understand well. what you're saying. Um, but you're part of the risk team, or you're part of you know <sighs> keeping our lights on. Um, but you're a cost center
1: real quick before you do that though Matt because i think because that's very much how i feel about it too and and one of the things that that i think is interesting about this too is if you look at like a ceo a cio and a cfo in an organization, they're they all walk into a bar. And, oh, <laughs> and, oh, I thought you were going to go into a joke. <laughs> they all walk into a bar and the lawyers are there to help them out, right? But but they're all they're all fiduciary, fiduciary responsibility inside of a big corporation like that. They're going to go to jail if they mess up on reporting to the SEC, you know, whatever the case is, insider trading, all that stuff. CISOs aren't held to that same level. And so... What if this has been going on and because they haven't been held at that same legal liability level that CFOs and CEOs and and CIOs are being held to, you know, what if that's facilitated them being able to fly underneath the radars? I
2: I think just with these regulations alone, they are very, very quickly being brought into that world.
1: So one of the
0: arguments that I've been having with people since like 2013, when House of Cards and Veet came out at the same time is you really are in one camp do you think life is like house of cards where everything is planned and strategic and conspiratorial or do you are you more in the veep camp where everybody's just kind of screwing up until somebody gets makes a decision i'm in the veep i'm I'm kind of in the veep category of it it, i don't really necessarily see this as conspiratorial i think this is a lot of making quick short-sighted decisions that get dig you deeper and deeper into a hole until you realize that there's no way out. I, I, and I, I, whether that happens across the board, I actually don't think it's conspiratorial. I think it's the human nature decision of, Oh man, I just screwed up. What's the easiest way that nobody's going to figure out that I actually did screw up.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree with that
2: too. I, I can't fathom a situation that this would be conspiratorial
1: you you are for 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 those who have never been like in the heat of an incident right where where your world is coming crashing down around you the the speed at which you have to make decisions facilitates the the likelihood of a lot of errors
0: and this is why when we go back to a a couple conversations we already have why regulatory bodies need to become stronger in the cybersecurity world is because that short-sighted decision making that that you know, bunts up against regulatory, you know, decision-making, that's where people take a step back and say, okay, what kind of trouble am I going to be in if I don't do this?
1: I would actually take a different approach with that. I think this is why you train and this is why you practice. I think this sure. is why, this is why tabletop exercises are important. This Wait, is this, why- So is this
2: the same tabletop exercise that you poo-pooed the idea when I came up with like, I don't know,
1: three weeks ago? I have no recollection of that senator.
2: Yeah. Matt, can we can we get a replay? You know, just a snippet replay? Yeah, that's what we need to add to this show, right?
0: I'm adding stenographer to my resume.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes, Neil, on this date at this time. I'm oh man. Miss. I don't remember saying that. If somebody can find me a a clip of that i'll deny ever saying uh, yeah. it, was, it was a plant by I Matt have no recollection
2: editor. of that but but, the,
1: but i think i think i don't think regulation forces you to take accountability i go back to my military days right if you if you train on this level of breach time after time again then it becomes habit to know what it is you have to do so that you're not left to make the decisions you know short-sighted on the spot in 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 the heat of the moment and, and if that's truly what this individual did then you know i i think that muscle memory would have you know come in handy right about then. yeah i, would well, agree. I certainly
0: I... don't think that regulatory bodies are the only way for the only accountability factor but what what also seems to be the case and this goes back to jeff talking about how you know the ceos are not the ones that are coding is that there is a communication difference between CISOs and what they know and what CEOs know and when CEOs see a breach that that is bound to happen C- breaches happen to everyone. but CEOs don't want to hear that or executives don't want to hear that. so they say to the CISO, well, what did you do? this is your fault what what happened? how did you how did you screw this up? And so without that open communication, there needs to be, some sort of accountability, whether it is training or regulation, or all of the above.
2: Yeah, I'd actually be interested from a, from a listener perspective. Uh, CISOs out there, how many times board members have reached out to you to ask you what your thoughts are on de-risking the business? Now, you, I know you've had those conversations, Neil.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I think the the communication thing that Matt brings up is pretty important because I think that, that while you've got like a CISO, and depending on whether the CISO reports into like the CIO or the CFO or directly to the CEO. You know, it doesn't matter. They all they go. They those CISOs most often are the ones who go brief the board on you know the risk and the the cyber threat landscape and things like that. Um, but it's amazing how like outside of those quarterly or biannually board meetings, you know, there's there's almost no communication or little to no communication you know that exists between the CEO and the CISO. You know, you know on a day to day or a month to month you know perspective in, in a lot of organizations. So I, I think I think Matt hits on a good point that you know there there isn't. There isn't. We haven't figured out the magic way to have the conversation. I, and I've, you and I have talked about this before, Jeff, over, over wine before. Is, you know, we we haven't figured out that magic translator kit for how do how do we as technologists or as cyber nerds, right, speak money to the CFO and the CEO in, in ways that they can understand. Well,
2: speak money, speak risk. Yeah. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on to uh, vulnerabilities. Six months ago, uh, IBM went to work patching a major vul- vulnerability in its, uh, I want to say, Dallas wireless communication system, although please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, which is attached to IoT devices such as pacemakers. The vulnerability allowed attackers to take o- con- over control of and attack devices that many people use to control their health. Um, I'm going to read directly from the article because I, w- I want to... Talk about the vulnerability protocol that this paragraph explains these type of large scale remediation efforts have become familiar when Iot devices sold by a variety of vendors share a common but problematic component, rather than announce vulnerability in tandem with the patch, a concerted effort takes place to remedy as many devices as possible before going public. Uh, Neil, do you like where the industry currently is when it comes to the timeline regarding when vulnerabilities are found, then patched?
1: Um, I, I, I in, in fairness to that question, I think the short answer is no. I, I'm not happy with with how we're handling vulnerability disclosure to vulnerability patching. But I don't think that the the blame lies solely with the the disclosers of the vulnerability as much as I do with the folks who are encumbered with producing a patch and corporations who have to deploy said patch. And you've heard Jeff and I, you know, tirade about this as you know, in, 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 you know, shows in the past is I I don't think organizations have still yet been able to grasp, you know, the reality that they need to patch critical vulnerabilities in a, in a rapid fashion. I think that there's, there's an interesting dichotomy that exists in hardware manufacturers, like what you're talking about. Um, You know, and we can see it with Cisco, we can see it with other medical device vendors and things like that, where, you know, they do know of vulnerability. And yes, they will try to patch it before they disclose it publicly. And I think that that I think that there is probably some responsible, you know, mentality that goes into that because they do have the control that they can make it, you know, they can fix the problem before it can be exploited by an attacker or at least known to be exploited by an attacker.
2: Well, these kinds of exploits can go way beyond this, though. I mean, I, I take a look, uh, I don't know, three, four years ago, there was an uh, uh, investigation done on some medical devices, and they bought a bunch of uh, puts right prior to releasing that information, right? I know this what was, you're talking about. Yeah, this is all built around how do I monetize this? And, you know, it was actually a legal way of doing it. It was all public information, mm-hmm. And just because someone else didn't do the quote unquote research on that vulnerability, um, you know, you can monetize that very, very quickly. I'm, I'm curious to get your, uh, your thoughts on if you think that that falls outside the parameter, like there's a little bit different nuanced part of the conversation of vulnerabilities and, you know, uh, what is the responsibility of the person finding the vulnerability? What is the responsibility of, uh, who has to patch that, um, and how fast is fast, right? We've had some of those conversations. But um, how far down the line should regulations, you know, step into and uh, address some of the, hey, I just, you know, earned, quote, unquote, $5 million by selling short a stock that I knew was going to tank as soon as I released the report that I did my own research on, Right.
1: Well, so I mean, and 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 responsible disclosure, and I'm using my air quotes here for those who can't see it, right? Is is a is a rabbit hole that we we have to be careful because we could go left or right and go really really deep in in either direction on responsible disclosure. Um, I, I think, generally speaking. You know, Responsible Disclosure, I think they've changed the name to Coordinated Disclosure now. It tells you how long I've been doing it because it was Responsible Disclosure for a long time. And then that kind of bred the concept of irresponsible disclosure. <laughs> um, if there's uh, responsible, okay. there's
2: got to be irresponsible.
1: That's right, exactly. So so I think, I think you know, we have an interesting new world whereby we have bug bounty people. We have independent security researchers who are out there genuinely trying to make products better. And I think we have a an interesting you know, scenario that's happening with companies where they're trying to figure out how to embrace, um, you know, an open culture of individuals trying to assist them in their corporate strategies. Because typically when you look at some of these companies, they're not very used to that open mindset. They're used to doing a lot of that R&D and black boxes and, and, you know, kind of keeping it very skunk works. And to, to Matt's point, when there's a vulnerability, they go out and try to fix it as much as possible f- before the disclosure happens, you know, so that the plume when it does get out there isn't very big. Um, I I think that if if you looked at it from a numbers perspective, it, as so long as it's more fiscally beneficial for somebody to play the system like they did in the the specific incident that you're referring to, then I think that they're playing within the bounds of what is okay, albeit borderline ethical what it is that they're doing. But there's nothing wrong with it, especially if the company that they tried to disclose this vulnerability to. Decided that they weren't going to listen to that individual or they weren't going to pay them for that vulnerability. I've heard horror stories about people who have submitted bugs to Microsoft where Microsoft has downplayed those bugs and then co- come to find out that they patched them, you know, a month later in a patch release and never paid bug bounty researchers for, for their money. And so, you know, there's a lot of shadiness that's still going on in the, the bug bounty industry that, you know it's kind of forcing this behavior to it's some forcing, extent it's very much forcing this behavior because you got to ask yourself right if 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 i find this if you're not going to
2: pay me legitimately i'm going to make
1: right. uh, money uh,
2: less legitimately
1: right right you've got this you've got this nugget of gold and you're walking around like hey you lost this microsoft do you want it back well yeah but we're not going to pay you anything for it well no, i'm going to take my, my my nugget of gold and i'm going to go over here to the wall street wall street would you like this nugget of gold yeah Right. And, and if, Wall Street always says yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or or even worse, like what if they go to the, the Chinese or the Russians or somebody right. else and say, you know, would you like this nugget of gold? I mean, you have to ask yourself that, like, once once a researcher has possession of that, it still has value to somebody. You just have to decide which value you wanted to have to you.
2: So you, you just went down a really interesting direction <laughs> that, uh, you know, this bug bounty person. Right. Right. Uh, You know, he's going to say, "Okay, first, I'm going to try to make money doing my job, which is bug bountying. If you don't give it to me that way, uh, maybe I go to the path of uh, Wall Street and sell the stock short because I know it's going to take a dive. Um, Alternatively, if I don't do that, I go to the Chinese or the Russians, et cetera, who are going to monetize it in a different way. But, you know, at some point, this does become very nefarious activity right? So you are well, the researcher I, who sells it to China. At what point are you culpable?
1: There's, there's technically, and, and so so this is dangerous for you and I both, because you and I have very opposite views of what I'm about to go down next. But this gets into a gun conversation, right? Because you, you do, you have it. You, you know, There's currently no law that stops you from selling data like that to anybody that's out there right that might and my original question was should there be no there shouldn't be there shouldn't be we shouldn't regulate we shouldn't no more than we should regulate other things of of equal you know type of of you know you know construct we shouldn't regulate the the distribution of that data
0: all right well i'll tell you what since we're, we're getting on to uh Shaky grounds here. I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna no, no, I want. There, to there needs to this. be at least a glass of wine over this okay. one. <laughs> this this one might be a, might be a dinner conversation. We're still going to repick that. Yeah, this conversation is not over. We're just not going to record it. Exactly. Do Do we want to sell that one on pay per view? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: I don't think anyone's interested in the, we're, we're, where we will take that one. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, the the last topic that I wanted to to discuss is a, a new botnet. Uh, is it seems that a, a new botnet, a new advanced botnet, was recently discovered by uh, uh according to Wired magazine. The botnet, which is called Fritz Frog, uses proprietary software written from scratch to infect servers and crowd them into a peer-to-peer network. Uh, the botnet Fritz has been used to at the has been at the heart of attacks on governments, banks, universities, and telecom companies throughout the U.S. and Europe. But it is still fairly new and may be growing. So, Jeff, what did you find interesting about Fritz
2: Um, Just the fact that it's like it is one other mechanism in a long line of mechanisms that are designed to exfiltrate data from a company without them knowing. Uh, you know, it's, you know, call it whatever you, you want. Um, you know, it is no different than any of the others that, uh, uh, you know, NGAV solutions try to guard against.
1: I think if, I think if we're really going to put any type of spin on this, right, this is, this gets into the difference as to, you know, you know, when you're looking at, your controls and when you're looking at your solutions, this is the difference between picking up on signature-based malware that, you know, everybody else out there in the world is is more than capable of detecting and looking at the controls that are specifically set up to look at behavioral analytics and tactics, techniques and procedures and some of the more empirical things that cyber criminals are doing to infect organizations and making sure that your controls are are established to look for those types of anomalies um you know w- when we talk about you know we could crush on av all day long we could crush on signature based detections all day long and and just how broken they are this is wine. It's, it's
2: probably the one thing we agree on most
1: <laughs> we can agree on the wine usually okay. we go <laughs> okay. drinking. I, yeah i pick it you drink it
2: perfect agreement
1: but, but but I mean, I think that w- w- one of the, the nuances, right, when you read about this, right, is it sounds like, oh, this is just yet yet another botnet. Remember, this is code that these guys custom created from scratch, which means they didn't buy it from anybody. They didn't steal it from anybody. They didn't, you know, borrow snippets from Poison Ivy. And so therefore, you've got signatures from that that you can add. These guys wrote this stuff from scratch, which means that you're going to write a signature, but you may not know everything about its behavior. You may not know what it does you're going to spend months, if not years, you know, trying to figure out how this malware behaves and you're probably going to be N minus two or N minus three revisions behind it. Um, you know, that makes for a very, very dangerous situation for a lot of organizations. Uh, It it
2: says 20 versions of the software binary since January. I'm shocked that it's that low because the simplicity of changing a binary is like, okay, add a space. Okay. Next one add two spaces. (laughs) it's super simple so uh, you know you, you talk about av and how it uh, uh detects things av is uniquely uh, ill-equipped to not only see this but as soon as you see the second version let alone the third version you're completely blind to it and it's completely allowed to run and it's i don't think it's necessarily uh this software in and of itself that is uh the pure evil it's what this software allows you to do once it is installed, right? It's, it's all the scripting and uh, you know, all all of the connectivity that uh, will render other tools useless in detecting it and stopping it. And so uh, to your point, Neil, you've got to stop this. It's got to be earlier in the kill chain and it's got to be behavior based because you're never going to stay ahead of uh, all of the versions that are going to be available uh, in your environment.
1: No, I think I think the takeaway that I would send to people right with this is is don't look at this article as, oh, geez, yet another botnet. Like this is this is yet another example of the sophistication that that criminals are going through to defeat the commodity you know set of controls such as antivirus and keep themselves anonymous. They, they talked a little bit about this being peer to peer
2: and just the design of it. You know, OK, I found the step. Okay, what happened before the step? Well, it was a peer-to-peer negotiation between this endpoint and that endpoint. Okay, great. So now we've got step number zero? No, no, that was 843,000 steps to get to that step. You know, the the peer-to-peer makes it extremely difficult to find uh, the initial attacker and, uh, in a court of law, go against them, right? And so... Uh, that's what makes this one a little bit more unique uh, than others. I mean, we've seen peer-to-peer, and we've seen some of these other uh, uh, kind of payloads that uh, allow for you to do scripting attacks and other things, but putting them together is a brilliant move by the attackers, but it, again, is one more uh, tactic and technique and procedure. talk about TTPs all the time that, um, you know, should be easily identifiable with the right kind of tools.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. So let me ask you this then. The, one of the things that really was interesting is that this botnet was created from scratch, like you said, Neil. How difficult is that to do?
1: Are you a programming genius or are you Jeff?
0: Well,
2: <laughs> come on. <laughs> I've got my Fortran and Pascal books right on my bookshelf.
1: <laughs> it's probably Forty been years. there for 40 years.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of the things you yes, are actually... <laughs> One thing the article talks about is this is a fairly advanced botnet that was built from scratch. I mean I, that that can't be something that is either easy or not very time consuming to do.
1: I, I, I think I, I think we without arguing the definition of you know of, of advanced. I'm using my air quotes again, right? Because Jeff and I have already proven we can't agree on the definition of advanced. Um, I, I think I think a, a threat actor or a threat group that decides to take the initiative to build their own botnet from scratch um, shows a level of commitment and a level of operational, um, you know, you know, sophistication that I think most organizations should be worried about. And, and most of us in the cybersecurity community should, should take seriously, you know, because it, it shows, you know, like I said, a level of commitment to the, to the mission. And it and shows organization. We talked yeah. about that. I, I think that was our, like, literally our second show.
2: Yeah. Uh, we talked about the organization of these cybercrime groups.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. And, and so, like, I, I, that's why I, I shy away from the word of advancement, because I think this is more about, you know, their commitment to conducting their cybercriminal enterprise and the, the operational sophistication in which they're planning on doing so.
0: Well, I want to I, I like ending the show by saying, you know, <laughs> glad that we could find ways to help people not sleep at night.
2: Okay. No, no. So I, I do, I, before we end, Neil, I bug you every, uh, every show you are, uh, being brought in as a consultant on, on this one and a board of directors goes to the security team and says, Hey, find out about this. I just read this article. And they say, I know nothing about it, but Neil's going to come talk to you. What do you say?
1: <laughs> um, I say, I say, you know, Let's let's take a let's take a review let's take a let's let's look at your controls through the kill chain from boundary to endpoint, and and let's let's make sure that you've you've done the right steps necessary to look for um, behavioral analysis. And I'm not talking UBA from like a, a buzzword sense, but like let's make sure that you. Aren't relying solely on you know signature based detection mechanisms. Let's make sure that you're looking for behavioral anomalies. Let's make sure that you're you've got you know some form of EDR you know on an endpoint, you know that can that can look for you know you know attacker behaviors you know based on on you know tactic technique and procedure and not based on signature, you know. And let's make sure that you've got eyes on glass that's that's looking for that. And let's let's re up you know the the sophistication of the controls that exist throughout the kill chain to make sure that you're, you know, you've got, you know, your, your soldiers on the front line have all the tools that they need to, to handle a more sophisticated enemy. So sounds a lot like an OODA loop from the military person here. There you go. It is, it is an OODA loop. It's, it's, you know, make sure that you can observe, orient, decide, and act as quickly as possible. You know, um, you know, you can't there's nothing new that I can tell you to do to protect against this attacker versus, you know, re-evil or maze or anything like that. Right. If they're sophisticated, if they're operationally sophisticated and if they're committed to their objectives, then that just means that they're going to be they're going to make fewer mistakes and they're going to rely less on, you know, 10 year old vulnerabilities and probably more on one or two year old vulnerabilities. Right. To, To 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 be successful, they're probably going to be very, very. Tactically precision, tactically precise in how they execute their operation, and so those types of things you can't fix with tools. You have to fix with people and process.
0: Well, there you are. there you have it, folks, from uh, South Africa to Neil's consulting expertise. Thanks for uh, joining us this week um, for the latest episode. Subscribe to INES, the IT Experts Network, wherever you get your podcasts or check out IANI's YouTube page. Neil, Jeff, thanks for joining me again.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Matt.